morning, everyone. Trust that you uh, appreciate what we've done here with the stage. Uh, this, uh, this came about quite quickly. Actually, we've been throwing around ideas for quite a while about what we wanted to do with the back of our stage wall. And uh, we knew that the panels that we had been using for a while were gonna, that we had been borrowing were going to need to be given back. And so that all of a sudden came to fruition that we needed to give them back. And then it was like, okay, uh, we need to make a move here now. And, uh, you know, it's just the timing that was so great. We were able to get a painting crew in here this week. Larry was uh, part of helping with that. And uh, we've got this great looking backstage wall now, which, um, and it's going to allow us to do some different things too in the future. So um, really, really, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we kind of had an idea for it. Shana was involved as well with some of the mock-ups and kind of, um, she was the one who said, we need to have an angle. <laughs> and uh, you were right. And, uh, but, and it's funny, right, because you see the mock-up, and you're like, yeah, that looks pretty good. And then, and then um, when this came to fruition this week, and you're like, man, it looks even better than what we thought it would. So, um, yeah, just thankful. So, this morning, I want to draw us back uh, to our mission statement, the one that you see as you walk in the doors here and greets you on the wall. Love God. Love people follow and proclaim the way of Jesus. And, you know, it, it might seem like a simple slogan or mission statement, whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of thought, considerable amount of prayer uh, went into that slogan because it was a, it came out of a heart of, we don't want to just have this on a wall. We want to embody this. And how can we embody this as a people? And we have a longer version of it. If you, if you ever stop to read the banner that is in the, the front entrance as well when you come in, that's the longer version of, of the shorter slogan. Um, but, but really the heart of what we feel that we want to be is in those words. Love God. Love people. Follow and proclaim the way of Jesus. But, you know, in, in order to live that out, in our lives and in the church, we actually have to first be able to receive the love of God in our lives so, so that we can actually love God and that we can love others well. And, and so the desire isn't just that these are our words that we put on a wall and elsewhere, but that, that this would actually be our mission as a local body, that, that personally we would desire to internalize and embrace this in every area of our lives. And, and so I want to I talk a bit about that this morning. I want to talk from John 3. I want to look at Ephesians 3 and then end with a little bit of Isaiah 40 to kind of unpack this. So the first um, part of this that we want to talk about is that God's heart is for everybody to know his love. Um, and we, we would probably, I think, I think we'd probably agree that some of the most common known words from the Bible are these from John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, those, those words were written by John. When you read John 3, they're written to provide further context of the conversation and the words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. And, and they represent, and I think this is probably why it's such a popular verse, 
is it represents one of the best, if not the best, summary of the gospel that we have in, in a very easy to understand way. And, you know, when, when you look at this message in John 3, and when you start to look at the context of where these words are spoken in John 3, you, you realize this message was unfathomable to the Jewish culture that John was immersed in. The, see, the Jewish people, they, they, they knew the words that God had written in the Old Testament, and God had written about his love for all people, and he had written about how he was going to draw all people to himself. But the Jewish people had internalized this message and this idea that, yes, God had chosen them and loved them, and then they had taken it a step further that it was only them. And he had only chosen them. And so this idea that God would love all people, that, that, that all people in the world were loved by God, that they did not, they didn't have a grid for that. But this is where Jesus is revealing to Nicodemus and to us through John that God's heart is for relationship. That, that God didn't come to condemn this world, but to save it, to restore it, to draw us back to himself. And it flows out of his love for us. And this love, it, it came, we know that it came at a great price. If we, if we know the story of the gospel, we know that this came at an incredibly great price, that God gave us Jesus, his one and only son, for the price of this restoration. And, and so these, these words point not just to the incarnation of Jesus in the flesh, but to his death on the cross. His, his life was given, or we could say his life was laid down. His life was surrendered. His life was submitted for us. And this love is sacrificial. This, this love here that we're talking about this morning came with the highest, the very highest cost. And it offers us eternal life, it says here. And this, this isn't simply referring to your eternal destiny or your eternal home or however we look at that as a follower of Jesus. This, this is speaking about life now. This is about new, joyful, transformed life now. It's, it's not meant to be understood, and many people see it as this, as some future life insurance policy that we take out on this earth, and it guarantees us this insurance that we're going to cash in at the end of our lives because we've said a prayer, or we've done this, and we've, we've checked the boxes, and so at the end we're going to cash it in and we're going to be okay. It is not that. If we live that, John 3.16 is that in our lives, we will actually not live the gospel. We will live some pseudo-gospel. This, this is about life and the fullness of it now. It's about healing and wholeness and restoration and forgiveness now. It's about relationship with the one who created you and loves you more than anyone ever will. Larry shared with me this morning, we wouldn't, he wouldn't know about it and I didn't know about it. 
You wouldn't know, they only knew about it because it came through someone who heard about this. But this week in Landmark, there was a suicide. Someone took their life. Do you know how tragic that is? It is utterly tragic. You know why? Folks were at war. Beneath the veneer, beneath all the stuff, we are at war. And you know why we're at war? Because we have an enemy who hates us. We have an enemy who hates that people would know the love of the Father. And he will do whatever he can and he will use other people even to take others out. And I want, I didn't even know if I was going to mention that, but I'm mentioning it. It's so tragic. But we need a reality check of why the love of God and that we would know this love and that we would be able to internalize this love. Why this is so crucial. It is life and death. These words are connected to Jesus' conversation like I mentioned with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious man, a very religious man. I'll say more religious than any of us here and knew his Bible, his Old Testament, better than any of us know it. Who very much he knew of God. Nicodemus knew of God. He could have quoted you up and down scriptures and you'd be, your, your mind would be, you'd be boggled by it. You'd be spinning with everything he could quote you and tell you about what he knew intellectually of God. And Jesus completely upends everything for Nicodemus. And if you've seen that scene in The Chosen with Nicodemus and Jesus, that is probably one of the most profound scenes where they, they did, I think they did such an incredible job of encapsulating the heart of John and the heart of the gospel for what that was. And the struggle for Nicodemus of going, I know of God, but what do I do with this man before me and what he's saying? And these are the words that Jesus, that John then writes in the follow-up of this conversation with Nicodemus. This offer of relationship with God is about new life. Remember what he says to Nicodemus. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I, have, I, have, I don't understand you, Jesus. What are you talking about? I've already been born. No, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Why? It is about new life. It is not about a future life insurance policy at all. It is new life transforms life. Life, that living water flowing through you, the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in you. This is the heart 
of God for everyone, everyone, everyone that flows from his love and faithfulness, from his hased and his amet. Remember, it's Exodus. This is going all the way back to Exodus again. This is God's heart, my love and my faithfulness for everyone. And this love comes to a world that is desperately broken. We are not okay. You heard what TJ shared this morning. We are not okay. Life is not okay. We heard what happened in Landmark this week. Life is not okay. Apart from God, we are hopelessly, hopelessly lost. This is what it says following John 3.16. John 3.17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Whoops. That didn't work. This, this verse claims that apart from God, we are condemned. That, that we will actually perish, both now and into eternity, apart from God. Apart from God, we will die. Ephesians 5 says that this, this world is in darkness, under the cover of darkness that keeps us imprisoned. But God comes to rescue us. He comes to invite us to step into his light. You know, it's interesting. I had these words and I read, I read this this morning and I quoted it in our prayer time, Psalm 36. In his light, we see light. Very simple words in Psalm 36, but it's true. It is in the light of God and we're called to step into this light that we see light, that we open ourselves up to his love. I was, I was listening to a podcast that was speaking of the bias of our Western culture against the past. We, we see everything in the past as out of touch. We see it as full of prejudice, right? There's this move that everything in the past was wrong. We have to right everything. There is this inequality, and, and, and the past is simply not useful. Now, was there inequality? Was there prejudice in the past? Of course there was. Is there inequality and prejudice in the future or in the present? Yes, of course. Will there be in the future apart from Jesus? Yes, there will be. But this, there's this idea that's taking shape in our world that we are building a better world, that we're, that we're looking forward and we look to the younger generations to give us wisdom. We disregard the older generations because they don't, they don't have anything relevant to the future. And, and this is what our culture is swimming in right now. We're, we're creating this, this world of progress and equality that we, we believe we're going to create this. We're going to manufacture this ourselves. We will shape our destinies. Right? This is the idea. I will take hold of my life and I will shape it. And yet by all measurables, the world is growing darker. And more oppressive actually than ever. And the Western message of freedom without consequences, is just a mirage. It's a counterfeit. And when we read history, specifically church history, 
we come to see that history just repeats itself. We've been here before. It's looked a little bit different. The clothes might have been a little bit different. The technology was a little bit different. But we've been here before. But in the midst of this darkness, there, there is light. There is the glorious, glorious light of Jesus. And it shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Nor will it ever, because it's impossible to stop this love of God that he has for people. So, secondly, well, God's heart is for everyone, and it is. It's also for you personally to know his love. That's my second point, that God's heart is for you to know his love. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, this is Paul praying for the churches in that region. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, those, those verses in Ephesians 3, they were written to a bunch of the local churches that Paul was connected with, that were gathering to follow the way of Jesus together. And so certainly Paul is he's praying this for the churches as a whole. But we're also, we know, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, we are individuals in the body. We are members, but we are also individuals of the body personally. It impacts us personally. And so I, I understand this as, yes, this is God's desire for the church as a whole, that, that as all of us together collectively, that we would know this love. But it's also very, very personal. This is God's heart being revealed through these words or being revealed through this prayer of Paul for every one of us. And you know, Ephesians 3, those words there, they, they are, they're so incredible how can we even begin to grasp the enormity of what is being prayed there? I mean, we, we, can, we can try to understand and grapple with the words, but the richness conveyed in them is astounding. God's heart is that our lives, your life, would be rooted and established in this love, that your lives would be fed and nourished and sustained by his life and his love. The words here speak to having our, our roots in this love and the foundation of our lives built upon it. Paul's, he's, I think he's, he's so trying to communicate, communicate the love of God here that he's mixing metaphors in, you know, with this, the roots and the foundations. Like he's, just, he's trying to unpack in this prayer of like the depth of what he desires, what God desires for us. And it's interesting, right, because... In communicating all this, we don't, we don't have a theological work by Paul. We, we, we wish we did, but we don't. But, but the book of Ephesians, that letter, is probably the closest that we come to to having a, 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 a bit of a Pauline theology, if you will. And, you know, the verses that we read there out of Ephesians 3 there, we're, we're picking apart two verses, but it's actually, it's part of a, a longer run-on sentence as well. It's a long, long sentence in, Greek, in the Greek that forms this, this glorious truth of what Jesus has done in our lives. But, but as beautiful as those words are, 
they're meant to be known and experienced. They're, they're not meant to remain on a page. They're not meant to just be understood theologically and intellectually and to, to parse out the Greek and break it down. And to, it's, you, we do all that. Why? So that we can get to a place where we know and experience this love and we understand that this is God's heart for us to know. This is, a, this is a prayer that Paul's praying for the churches of an experiential awareness of God's love in your life. And no, it's not all about feelings and emotions. It's not. But equally, it's not meant to stay as stoic theology that has no impact on your hearts, on your minds, and on our bodies. It's this fusing of that. Right? It, it is theology, but it's it, and it, it, but it's meant to embody every part of us that we know this. And these words, as I said, they are meant to be received personally. And and I um. You know I've, I've been doing I mentioned I was doing the, I've been doing this app for the last couple of months this meditative contemplative app um, by John Eldridge that just every morning draws me into scripture and into the presence of Jesus. And one of the core verses, one of the core um, bits that he, he's using for that app is this, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And, and at, the begin, um, at the beginning of it, before I even started this app, the way that I came to know about this app was actually through my brother-in-law who's a pastor. And I had, I had shared something on social media about the, those verses in Ephesians 3 just attributing them personally. And I, and I think I said something like, do we, do we actually, per, do we personalize Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 for ourselves? Do I know how deeply loved I am? And my brother-in-law, he messaged me and he said, are you doing such and such? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you gotta, you gotta check this app out. And, I, and, 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 you know, he's not one to actually overstate stuff. He actually said to me, he says, Paul, he says, this has changed my life. And I was like, I took notice of that. I'm like, whoa, okay. And it's changing my life. You know why? It's really simple. Because it's inviting me to internalize the truth of Scripture. It's inviting me to internalize Ephesians 3. That... I know that I'm deeply loved. And that's for all of us. That I don't think we can ever fully understand this love. I don't think that we can ever get, we'll never get to the bottom of it. We'll never understand it. We'll never ever get there in this lifetime. It is immeasurable. And no one is beyond this love or undeserving of this. Of this. So how can we know this? Because God did not spare his own son. If you go, how can I know this? Because God did not hold back his very one and only son for us. In order to make this a reality in the lives of people. A cost, let's be honest, that we would reject. Sorry. I don't know. Isn't that, isn't that a sobering thought, though? That 
we would probably reject that cost, the giving of our one and only son. And God did not. A sister passage to this is found at the very end of Romans 8, where it says, Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's heart is for everyone. It's for you. And God's heart is that your heart would be his heart to love others. I'll say it again. God's heart is that your heart would be his heart to love others. Because to know God's love is to share God's love. Why? Because you can't help it. If you experience, you truly experience the love of God, you will not be able to not share it. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, what we read, it says there, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then it goes on in verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's heart is that our desire would be to be, to be filled with all the fullness of God. That we would increasingly be growing to become more and more like Jesus and have an overflowing amount of God's love present in our lives. And that this would spill over into our relationships with others. The The rest of Ephesians points to this. Ephesians 5 says that we are to walk in the way of love. So we're to walk in this way of love with one another in the church. We are to walk this way with our neighbors, everyone around us. We are to walk with this way, this posture of submission with one another. That's where it says at the end of Ephesians 5 there, at the end of the one section, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're to have this love and this sacrifice in our marriages and in our families. We're to have this in our vocations and our work. All of that is unpacked in Ephesians 5. And the theme is that out of the love that we have received from God, we would be transformed to love well in every area of our lives. John 17 points to this. First John that we read this morning as part of worship points to this. And the focus on love throughout that book. 1 Corinthians 13, and you could go on. But sacrificial love for others, which requires an incredible amount of humility, by the way, is at the very core of following the way of Jesus. God's heart is that his heart would be your heart. That increasingly, your heart would be becoming become like his. Kind of sounds nice, right? Kind of has a nice ring. Sounds catchy. We figured this out, right? We can, we can close up now. We can close up shop. We figured it out. We're good. Right? Got it? We've preached it? This is, we, we know, right? We know. This is what, your heart's meant to be God's. Okay, let's go. So why 
why, why does this seem so much harder in real life than it does right now? Actually, I don't think it actually feels all that easy right now either. I think this actually feels pretty hard right now if we're allowing this to impact us. I think this is actually really, really hard. So at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal some stuff from Pete Scazzaro. Shamelessly, I'll steal from him. And uh, from those of you who haven't read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, I'll give you a little bit of taste here. We've, we've been immersed in this a little bit as a church the last couple years, and uh, we've just started another Emotionally Healthy Relationships course around this stuff. But in EHS, he, uh, Pete Scazzaro, he writes about how he would preach inspiring messages on God's heart uh, for, for God's heart to love people and for us to love people. And yet, he, he reveals in the book, he says, I was seeing it having very little impact in my life or in the lives of people. And he unpacks, he says, the reason is because messages alone do very little without practical skills that we incorporate into our spiritual formation to the way of Jesus. So what I'm doing right now as much as I love doing this, and you might love even sitting here and hearing it, well, maybe not. But, you know, this doesn't actually do that much. Kind of sucks when I've had to come to that realization of going, this actually doesn't do all that much, because the reality is you forget about 98% of this in a couple hours. And so if we're not doing something to have this as part of our spiritual formation, to grow our emotional maturity alongside our spiritual lives, this, and so Schizero's point is that if we don't learn to do this, we then, we then actually live with an inability to walk out our beliefs. Huh. And relationships within the church are not very different than the world around us. Huh. And he says, to love well, we have to begin to assess how we interact and respond in all of our relationships, we can be at a very different age emotionally than we are physically. We can project great spiritual maturity, can say all the right stuff, you can use the right words, the right lingo, the right phrases, present the right image, but if we are not emotionally healthy, we will struggle to receive love and love others well. That's true. It's true. I know I've experienced it in my own life. I know this is true. I think we know that this is very true. And so we can talk about becoming more like Jesus. We can talk about following this way and proclaiming this way. We can talk about growing his character. But unless we are willing to do the work of exploring our reactions, our responses, our internal lives, we feel stuck. So how are we... How are some ways that we're gonna, we can do this? First way here, we're actually going to talk about this this Tuesday. But we grow in grace when we stop mind reading. All, all the assumptions that we make about others, the mental creations in our minds that create counterfeit worlds. So that app that I mentioned, the, the pause app by John Eldridge's ministry, there's a, there's a part in there, and the one, there's modules in the, in the app that I've been going through, and one of the modules that struck me, that the very first day I heard this, it struck me as so profound. It was a, a part of a prayer that you pray, and it, was, and it was this. I consecrate to you, Lord, my interpretation of events in my life. 
I dedicate the life of my mind to you, Lord God, and to you alone. I, I have been so struck by that. We ease, another way we do this, we ease frustration when we clarify expectations. Don't assume, which is actually, that's, this was his last lesson in EHR, right? This whole thing of, of how do we have these communications with people and, and this, this willingness to have difficult conversations. And we experience healing when we begin to understand emotional triggers in our lives. Do you understand the emotional triggers that you have that reside in your life? Because, and the reason this is so, so important is that loving others well with the Father's heart doesn't just happen instinctually. It's intentional. It requires us to embrace practical skills in our lives. It requires us to embody and internalize the gospel. But the reward is being part of community, being parts of a group of people that loves one another well, and out of that love spreads the love of Jesus to a hurting and dying world. And so I want to wrap up this morning with a question for us. A really simple question, and that is, will we prepare our hearts to receive God's love? Within the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, is the beginning of a shift. It's a massive shift in Isaiah's book where God begins to reveal through Isaiah his mercy and his plans to rescue and redeem people. And it points there to the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice, this the sin that keeps us in bondage and separated from God. That sin will be paid for. And the wording speaks of this sin being entirely done away with there in, in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 3, are, they're the words that John the Baptist spoke when speaking of the one who was to come after him, who would take away the sins of the world. This is what it says there in Isaiah 43. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You know, it leaves us with a really simple question this morning. Will we welcome God in our lives? Will we prepare ourselves for his coming? Isaiah 40 verse 4, the very next verse, speaks of this coming of the Lord and valleys being raised up and mountain hills being made low, rough grounds, very rough ground being made level, Whatever is wrong in the road, it's this picture, whatever's wrong in this road needs to be corrected. And the problems are different in different places, but the, these rough roads need to be made level. They need to be made ready for the coming of the Lord. And this is a, a word picture for our lives, if you will, where there's some areas of our lives that need to be lifted up, and there's other parts of our lives that need to be brought low, maybe need to be cut through. There, maybe there's mountains in your life that need to be cut through to prepare the way of the Lord. So Jess and I, we've, we've traveled the Trans-Canada Highway um, going up to BC many, many times. I've lost count how many times we've done it as we visited family out west. And years ago, very early on in our marriage, there was a, a project being undertaken in Golden, BC 
to bring the highway, the number one highway that ran along uh, the, the, base of the, the, the base of the mountain below, uh, there's a massive, massive, massive project that was being made to bring it up, to raise the entire highway up. And on, on the side of the mountain. And in fact, they're actually just right now, they're completing the last, very last stage of that going into Golden. It's just, it's an, an incredible undertaking that they've done from an engineering perspective. But we, we drove that for a few years, and every year we'd see the incremental improvement that was happening as they had massive, massive machines on the side of the mountain that were clearing away to, to make this new road that was going to be coming, and, and, and the old one would be done away with. And, be, and Anyways, it was, it was incredible. We, we marveled every time we would travel through, like, wow, look at, look at what's going on there, and like, how do they do that? And, uh, and just an incredible engineering feat. And, and so the old section of highway was a valley and it was being changed so that it would be running alongside this mountain way farther up. And I remember us, as we would travel, we, we were trying to, in our minds, figure out how this was going to get connected because we couldn't, we couldn't in, hardly envision how they were going to do this. And finally, when, the one year we came through and they had opened up that new section, and there was one section of the mountain that in order for the highway to go the way they had designed, they had to blast through a side of a mountain, right through the mountain. And I have a picture of it here. This, this, is, this is what they did. And I can tell you traveling that down at about 140 kilometers, which is what I love to do, uh, it, it, is, it is breathtaking. You don't, you don't even have to have your foot on the gas. You are, you are just cruising. And when you go through that mountain that they blasted through, it's just, it's mind-blowing that they did that. But I, I think, when I read Isaiah 40, I think of this rock section that we've driven through many times now when I think of those words. Because it reminds me of God's desire to work in my heart and my choice to respond to his work or not so that I can receive his love. Will I allow him to blast out those areas of my heart that need to be blasted out? God's heart is that people would, would come to know and receive his love. And that his, as his followers, that we would have this love flowing through us. That we would be extending it to a weary world. The gospel is an invitation to follow the way of Jesus. To walk in repentance for our sin. To receive the love of the Father. And receive healing in our lives. To surrender our lives. And to follow Jesus. That's the gospel. It's repentance, it's forgiveness, it's surrender, it's humility. And it's saying, Jesus, please be the Lord of my life. I don't want to be the Lord anymore. If you want to talk about that more, if you want to pray, if you want me to pray with you about that, I'd love to pray with you. But it is, it is, it's about surrender. I want to leave us with some questions. You guys can come up. Um, I want to leave us with some questions this morning to help apply this to our lives. To, to help us specifically to grow in our love.
for others well by listening. David Osberger, I think he, he sums this up so well. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. So here's the five questions that I want to throw out at us for us to go away with, to work through. First, do I listen not only to what people say, but also for their nonverbal cues, body language, tone of voice, and other physical signs? Two, am I aware of how the family in which I was raised has influenced my present communication and listening style? And I could unpack every one of these with, <laughs> we don't have time. Do I make a great effort to enter other people's experience of life? Four, do I ask questions when listening rather than mind read or make assumptions? Five, am I aware when I am listening of my own personal triggers that cause me to get angry, upset, fearful, or nervous? It's a lot there to unpack. And you know, we, we need the Holy Spirit for that, don't we? I, I don't want to be left to my own wisdom or my own trying to understand this and unpack this in my life without asking the Holy Spirit to come in and to reveal things to me. Because, you know, I'm reminded, even as I say this, that it is when the Holy Spirit comes in and reveals something to you, He does it, He can do it in a millisecond. The Holy Spirit will, He will come, and in a millisecond, He will reveal something to you that you have not seen in your life for decades. That has happened to me more than once, where it is in a light, I go, how did I not see that? And it's with such profound clarity, and it's not me. It is the work of the Spirit. God saying, Paul, this. And I don't want to try and do that on my own. And so, Father, I want to pray as we end this morning. God, as we, we listen and we contemplate this stuff about your love, and your love for us and, and how profound it is and loving others well. God, and, and, and practically how we do this. We, we cannot do this without your spirit, God. And nor would we ever want to, God. I, I would never want to try and do that without your Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, this morning to come and to work in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, to do that deep, deep work that we need. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you that it is true that we love because you first loved us. May you do that increasingly in our hearts.